Ladies and gentlemen, where the production values know no depths. This is Sammy, Be Real, and the Ghost Lights podcast. We're back again. This time, I have the incomparable James O'Hagan Murphy. Evening. Evening. Everybody, just so you are aware, this is the second time we're recording the opening here. Um, I swear that this Jameson Caskmate Stout Edition, our unofficial sponsor of tonight's episode, is not having that much of an effect on me, but... Uh, it's good to know that the uh, garage band doesn't record for more than two minutes before you have to record another portion. Or maybe I just don't know how to work garage band. That could be a good answer. <laughs> um, thank you again for tuning in. As you know, that is War by the Hypnotic Brass Ensemble. Please check them out on iTunes and send in your request for a jazzy, hip-hoppy, I don't know, intro theme music anthem that you want to hear at the beginning of the Ghost Lights. It's a new era. We're looking for new jams to groove to. And to get started on our grooves, James, cheers, sir. Cheers. You should check out Camille Bertrand. I'm probably butchering her last name. Mm. She's a really good French jazz singer. Mm. Awesome YouTube videos, too. Check I like out. that. Okay. Send, definitely. Send her, my, her name my way. Um, here we are. You were recently at the Littleton Town Hall Arts Center with yes. Peter and the Starcatcher. Yes, one of my favorite places to work. I don't get to work there very often because I do a lot of musicals. Mm-hmm. Um, but I loved doing Peter and the Star Starcatcher. Um, most of the people in it I haven't worked with before because a lot of people in it are mostly in musical theater. Mm-hmm. I'm mostly not. Yeah. Um, so it was a really, really good opportunity to work some people like Tim Howard, who I know you've had yeah. on right before mm-hmm. we opened, and uh, TJ Hogle, who I love, and a lot of other people from Morgan, Keegan, nice. the whole crew. It was a lot of fun. It's so, I think the only person I had worked with before was Scott McLean, and we did uh, mm-hmm. Casa Valentina over at um, oh, yeah. Edge Theater, and that was a blast. That's awesome. He's good people. Yeah, that's a, that is a great pairing, grouping of people. Yeah, it was. Nick Sugar always does a great job. In all of his shows, but he did a great job of casting it. I think, especially in this one, we all had a blast working together. It came together really, really well too. You, you were um, Black Stash. Yes, uh, the guy that likes to chew all the scenery um, and has no shame breaking the fourth wall, which was great fun for me. Mm-hmm. Um, especially on the nights that things would go wrong, like a, we uh, had a sword fight with plungers, <laughs> as is kind of the style of the show. And uh, I think it was second or third night, I know it was opening weekend, my plunger as I hit RJ's, uh, RJ Wagner's plunger just cracked in half. No. Oh. And split, and we finished it, and I thought we'd, we improvised quite well around it, and a couple of, another night my plunger head stuck to the ground when I pulled it up and I just came up with the stick. <laughs> um, but I thought as a cast, we, we had a really good job of, of knowing our stuff well enough that I, I'm a big believer in life and in theater that, you know, mm. control what you can control. There's so much that you just cannot control. So as long as you know your your stuff mm-hmm. and you've got it together, then when something does come up, you can, as a cast, come together and just play it as is. It is part of the, that world that night. It is, it's the way the show was supposed to be that night. Exactly. So that's a Beauty great perspective. Theater. I'm glad. I hope people are listening to that. It's mm-hmm. It takes a lot. There's a lo- always... There's always so many different moving parts, and there's only so much you can control, and that is a perfect metaphor for life, 
You just got to roll with it as best you can. Uh, my last name's Murphy, and Murphy's Law has come into effect plenty in my life. I prepare what I can mm -hmm. for and just try and make the rest look like it was on purpose. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> well, so far, so good, I'd say. <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah. I appreciate it. Um, James, for those of you who are listening for the first time who don't really know us, I ask one question, and then we spend the rest of our time together riffing. Yes. And the question I ask of all my prey is uh, theater, acting. How did it happen? How'd you get in? Well, I'm very, as I said, tempted to tell you a whole new story because I did tell you the story on our first recording. You know what? No one's going to believe you otherwise. And it was so eloquent. It, it really was. was probably some of the most beautiful language ever been strung together. But I'll just try and just muddle through it this okay, time. Okay, okay. Um, <laughs> so, Got my hopes up there. So, well, you know, it, was, it only happens once. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> So, no, I, I grew up in just upstate of uh, New York City, about a half an hour upstate of the city in Putnam Valley, New York. Uh, the biggest city, I guess, near it would be Peekskill, New York, um, just off of the Hudson. Mm. Um, went to a small little Catholic school, St. Columbanus, did the passion plays and the Christmas shows, and we were Irish enough to have a St. Paddy's Day show and pageant and stuff like that. Um... But just did that because it was what everyone did. It was inquired because it was yeah. what everyone... There was 12 people in my grade level. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, moved out to Colorado when my grandparents decided uh, the year before I turned... Or the summer before I turned 12. Um, they decided to move back to Ireland. My mom's from Ireland, too. Mm -hmm. um, so when they decided to do that, we needed to find a smaller place. And New York's a market was a little too ridiculous. And I was really, really asthmatic as a kid, mm -hmm. and mold was a huge trigger. So my family had some family in Colorado. Mold's not a huge issue in Colorado. So we moved out here. I was so painfully shy. I still kind of am really shy. Um, then my mom's like, all right, we're going to get you into theater. You're going, you're going from a little Catholic school to a huge public school, and big, big changes, puberty and all the rest. Mm -hmm. um, that, Which, by the way, you, you're really kind of growing through it, your puberty nicely. I, I try. I, I think I'm finally grown into the feet. Yeah. Um, I've had the same size feet since then. I'm about <laughs> a foot short, shorter, but I am now. I'm serious. First time I went skiing, the guy said, you don't need skis. Just point those things down the mountain. <laughs> um, Perfect. But I, I got to Colorado really shy. My mom's like, we're going to get you into theater. You'll either learn how to not be shy or you'll learn how to pretend not to be shy, which mm -hmm. is really kind of what I still do uh, until I get to know someone. Um, kind of got the bug then, really liked it, but I just never thought I was going to go very far with it. Got into college, started as an English major at Mesa State College, um, now Colorado Mesa University. Mm -hmm. um, thought I was going to be an English major, auditioned for Cyrano de Bergerac, the professor, Professor Ivanov, um, Tommy Meisner, great Meisner mm -hmm. teacher. He said, you should be a theater major, you should be a theater major. I said, uh, I am an English major, you know, I gotta, because I think it's better for business if I go into business or something like that. Okay, well, you should be a theater major. A year, year and a half later, I went down to change my major to a theater major. And they said, you are a theater major. I said, no, I wanna, I'm an English major, I want to change it to a theater major. Mm -hmm. No, you, you are a theater major. Apparently someone, maybe Professor Ivanov, maybe not, who knows? Maybe me in a blackout, even though I didn't drink back then. Um, right. I did that back then. <laughs> um, someone had changed my major to a theater for me. Nice. So that's how I got into it. And ever since then, I've really not stopped. <laughs> so, you when you when you tell that that story, mm -hmm. I I don't hear like, 
I was doing Cyrano de Bergerac and it was the, the language that spoke to me or the, the felt, the feeling you had on stage. What, what was it that, that had you not putting up a fight when you found out your major had already been changed? I, I did always love theater and film and all the rest in general as an audience member, mostly just because I was painfully shy, mm-hmm. um, and really nervous. Um, I think it was college where I started feeling like I could actually do it a little bit. Um, and Professor Ivanoff and other people, uh, Mr. Uh, Richard Cowden being another one because he was my professor for a little mm-hmm. while there, um, gave me the confidence that I could do it a little more. I, I, it, it's hard for me to pinpoint why I love it so much mm-hmm. and what bit me and kept me in the bug. Uh, there are the moments on stage where you just it, you feel so in the moment. You feel more in the moment than you do at any point in real life. You're just so, and it's a collective moment where the entire audience and and you are breathing the same breath at the same time. Almost, you feel like your hearts are almost in, in, in sync. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's also the camarader- camaraderie I had in say Meisner class, um, where you feel, you know, theater's never supposed to be therapy. But sometimes when you're in an acting class, at least back in college, you're, you're learning so much about yourself mm-hmm. and, and what it takes to get something from someone else and what, thing, what, what, what makes you ouch when someone else pinches you. Um, that it conf- I discovered so much about myself, I realized that I, theater was my way of discovering what it was to be human, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, uh, to be a human in this path. Nice. Um, and I, from there, wanted to kind of discover what it was like to be other humans and see what it's like to be in other people's shoes. Um, and I love that theater asks questions and doesn't give you the answers, but makes me have lots of questions to think about. Mm. I don't know I've ever been able to pinpoint it, but there's just so much about it that kind of just calls to me that I can't, just cannot do anything else. Nice. Very cool. Do, do and that, and that still persists today. That, that same kind of understanding that there's something bigger than you that you might not know, but you know you have to follow it. Well, and, and it's, it's a bit like being a junkie and an addict in that, that high of, like, when you do have that, that moment of being completely in the moment with the fellow actors on stage, with the technicians, with the audience, where everyone's just, you can feel it, you're right there. Mm-hmm. And you're trying to connect, it's unfortunately not 100% of the time, and I'm sure there are many actors out there that they're great and they can do it 100% of the time. I'm not there yet. Mm-hmm. It's that striving to get closer and closer to, to that 100%, to have more of those moments where you're just completely and utterly there. Yeah. You are now. Mm-hmm. Um, How does it manifest for you when, when you're not 100% there? Like for me, I know a couple of things happens. My ass clenches and I wonder what traffic's going to be like on the drive home. Like, right. out of nowhere, I'll be standing there and that thought will occur to me. It depends. Mm-hmm. Um, there are times where, like, especially if you have a small enough role and you're trying to be as professional as you can, but your third soldier from the back in whatever Shakespeare production it might be, mm-hmm. um, and you're holding the same pose for 30 minutes, and you're like, okay, can this queen please not take such long pauses? Mm-hmm. That you're thinking, like, what should I have for dinner after this? And you're trying to get right back into it. Yeah. Um, there are those moments. 
Um, the ones that, are, to be honest, are at least a little more frightening to me is, let's say, when I was doing RFK and it's a one-person show, and you try and think ahead for a second. Well, you're immediately out of the moment for one part, but you're also no longer able to remember what it is you're supposed to say because you're not in the now. You can't. You have to stay in that type of show, especially right in the present, because as soon as you're not, you've lost everything. You've lost where you are in the mm. script, at least for me. I've lost where I am in the script. I've lost the thrust. Um, if I don't trust myself and trust fellow actors and the script and everything else that's going on, that's when it's it can pull me out of mm. being completely and utterly in the moment. Um, and theater in general can be... It's one of the things I, I enjoy about film, and I, I can't say that I enjoy one over the other, especially since I've done a lot more theater than film. Mm -hmm. um, but part of the beauty and the art of theater is that you have the audience there, but there's also something that is going to sometimes pull you out of the reality of the moment. Yeah. Um, whether it's a laugh that you want them to laugh, but that's you can hear them now. You know they're not there unless you're lucky, like it's Black Stash, and you can acknowledge them laughing. Mm -hmm. Um or it's a drama and you can hear the person sobbing in the seventh row, which is beautiful, but at the same time, you're like, hey, I'm supposed to be focusing on my opposite right here. Um, I personally don't haven't found a place in my technique where I can completely and utterly focus 100% on them, but I'm also leaving that little bit of that 100% yeah. for the audience because I do have to listen for their reactions and be there with them and also here when someone just is crinkling their Snickers wrapper for 15 minutes yeah. or whatever it might be. Mm. Um, I've tried to avoid some of the little tricks I had. Uh, Jennifer Schmitz, who's a, a local, I don't know if she's local anymore, but she's an equity stage manager. She went to college with me. She called me out on a habit I used to have where I would, um, I'm trying to describe it because Sam, of course, can see me doing it. Yeah. I would kind of just fidget with my index finger and my thumb. The and Matthew McConaughey rolling a booger. It kind of like, yeah, basically just kind of, I would do that when I wasn't in the moment. If I was thinking rather than listening. Mm -hmm. um, if I was in my head, which is something I, to this day, utterly try to avoid is yeah. being in my head, but it's definitely a, a bug of boot for me. Nice. Yeah, I... I'm a thinker. That is, yeah, I... I I know exactly how that is for me. I mean, one of the biggest things that I worked with, like, and I, when I say my ass clenches, mm. like it literally, every muscle in my right buttock just goes, and it might just be the one, it's not a very muscular buttocks, everyone, but I mean, it, it, that one just seizes up. Right. And I, and, and it's not like it's painful or physically distracting in terms of like, it alters me anyway, but it's just like, you don't know what your next line is. You like, you're not even thinking so then you try really hard, like, how is it supposed to respond? How am I supposed to respond? Right. And it's so weird to to have those, for some, a physical manifestation of that, for lack of a better phrasing, a lack of focus. Mm -hmm. um, it, how did you work through that? <laughs> the first trick was, as much as I thought I used to be prepared, that, that, that was something I did a lot in college a couple years after maybe, I wasn't as prepared as I ever should be. Like, I knew my lines. I knew my blocking. Mm -hmm. I didn't know everyone else's lines. I didn't know everyone else's blocking. Not that's what everyone needs to do, but for me, I need to be that prepared. I need to know my lines, my blocking, everyone else's lines, everyone else's blocking, or at least a pretty darn good approximation of it, and know my lines just backwards, forwards, upside down, mm -hmm. um, because things do happen, even 
if it is a flub of the word and you realize, oh, I need to fix that somehow. Yeah. If you don't know your lines solidly enough, you try and fix it and then you're just lost. Yeah. That helped me, for one, because I wouldn't have as many moments where I would have the physical manifestation. Um, but for me, it was a big focus on, I, I was such a head actor, such in my head, which I, as I said, I'm still trying to get out of, that I took some classes and worked with people and had a few number of directors, Nick Sugar being one of them, mm -hmm. who are great about saying, working with your physicality and working with your body. Um, Stacy Sutton actually was one that too would notice um, I would have a habit of, if I was trying to inject tension into a scene, I would stutter all of a sudden. Mm. Um, she called me out of that during murder, actually. Mm -hmm. And I've always been pretty good and, uh, and, and tried to hold myself to a high standard on taking direction. So I've been very lucky to have directors that have called me out on the physical manifestations of, like, little, your hands are fidgeting, stop that. Oh, mm. Okay. Or Stacy saying, you know, your, your chin jumps forward and you stutter when you, you're trying to inject tension. Relax it and just trust the scene and trust your fellow actor. Yeah. I've been very lucky to have very good directors. When, have you felt a need to police that in situations where you haven't had the most attentive director? And if so, has that been difficult for you to pick up in the moment of yourself to be that aware? I can't really remember a show where that, at least particular physical manifestation, worried me. There have definitely been shows... Um, and I'm sure there are plenty of shows where directors are wishing they had the act, different actors than they had. There have definitely been shows I've had that I wish it was a different director or they were able to devote more time to it mm -hmm. or whatever it might be. Um, and that's Names. always a difficult situation. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, that's always a difficult situation because the last thing you should do as an actor really is self-direct. Yeah. Um, but there are definitely times you kind of feel like you need to. Yeah. Sometimes um, it's a necessity. You hope that you have a really good cast around you. Not that you're giving each other notes, but you can tell when, when you pinch them and they don't ouch in the way you were hoping for. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, okay, that didn't work. Let's try something different now. Yeah. Um, but as I said, for the, I mean, really, by and far, I've had been really lucky to have really solid, great directors that have a good eye for things like that. Mm -hmm. um, I've also been really lucky to work, work with really good cast members who are in the moment or at least react really strongly and honestly um, when you try something new they react differently so you know if something's working or it's not working Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I also think it's lucky that most of the theaters I've worked in at least in Denver are very intimate so you mm -hmm. can feel what the audience is feeling so you know if something's working or not too. yeah that's a, that's that's a great point about the, the lo a lot of the local theaters mm -hmm. around town I mean outside of I would say curious the Denver Center, possibly the hand because it's so elevated and a little further back, but even then you got the first five rows like right on top of you. Yeah. And it just it's it's always nice to be that connected to them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean we do have our, our big theaters like Arvada and oh, yeah, Aurora, yeah. Aurora Fox and of course the Denver Center and such. Um but yeah. It, I love the challenge of the different shapes of the theater in this town too. Mm -hmm. Um like like Town Hall is a is a fairly intimate but it's also a wide theater so you yeah. have to kind of be really careful of your angles and luckily I've worked with people like Bob Wells and Nick Sugar there who I think have Bob's been there since the beginning of time I believe and Nick mm -hmm. just a couple weeks after yeah. Um, yeah so they they really know that space really well and same when you go to Miner's Alley they know yeah. that and I've luckily worked at that space a lot that you can bust ass the to the bombs yeah. exactly as Rick Bernstein Len Mateo always telling me ass to the bombs that and stop moving Sam yeah, don't fidget, no. 
when you were talking earlier about you know what you were studying and you 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 acknowledge that you find yourself in your head mm-hmm. often and that's something you're trying to work work out of mm-hmm. what what do you feel is the the next level out of that if it's not so much in your head is it purely reactionary or do you have a different idea of what that is for at least my understanding of it now i'd love to keep on taking more and more and more training. I love mm-hmm. classes. Um, most of my training has been Meisner based and I love Meisner and I love to continue in, in Meisner. Um, that's when I do feel most in the moment is when I'm just truly, truly listening to the other person and, and trusting that what I say next is going to be right. And I think that it, that really only ever happens when you have a beautiful script where the one line comes out and the next line has to be the one that's written. Like the only thing you yeah. can possibly say in that situation is the next line that is written on that page. If you've got a beautiful script like that, a, ca- a cast member that you completely trust, and the scene has been directed well, and you're able to f- fully forget but also dive into the technique. Mm-hmm. For me, it's Meisner and an amalgamation of a number of other things. And just listen and and only, the only acting you're doing is when you're getting pinched by the other person. If they pinch you in a way, then you ouch back. Or mm-hmm. somehow the situation pinches you in a way. Or mm-hmm. the environment pinches you in a way. Those are the only things you react to. Once that first domino falls, you're not trying to inject anything else. It's just coming naturally. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm hoping for and striving for. Nice. Um, and happens fleetingly in moments here and there mm-hmm. in shows. Um of course never enough <laughs> yeah no when uh, just to help out the listeners at home when you say pinch mm-hmm. what what are you referring to um, at least in my understanding of, of Meisner in general but I think it's also something that's used just in, in, in pe- I've heard directors use it outside of class and technique mm-hmm. is you only react to something you only say ouch to something if the other actor or the environment or something in the play mm-hmm. pinches you now of course that's Physically, although sometimes it's a slap and it's physical, yeah. but you don't start crying just randomly for no reason. No. It's you start crying because I have done something to hurt you or make you angry mm-hmm. or upset you or whatever, or make you happy or whatever it is mm-hmm. that makes you do that. Until I make you do that, you don't say ouch or, yeah. or it could be making you laugh or you could, I could make you kiss me, whatever it is, but that's the ouch is you're not allowed to do it until I pinch you. And for me, at least in my understanding of of my training through Ivanov um, when you're trying to pinch someone like yes if you're playing Bob in a show across mm-hmm. from me and I'm playing Harry I'm trying Harry's trying to pinch Bob but the best way for Harry to pinch Bob is to know how James can pinch Sam mm-hmm. like what's gonna make you react nice um, and that will probably shift throughout the rehearsal process because you'll become more and more Bob and I'll become more and more Harry and mm-hmm. things that might make Sam react in real life might not in this show and we'll learn that as we go along but I'm trying to make human react not this scene react not the play react not the character, other character react I'm trying to make the other human across from me react yeah. and I'm only reacting if they give me something to react to nice. That's, so that's what pinch out means to me. No, yeah, definitely. I, I'm I'm glad you I'm glad you went down that that little bit of the road with us because it it has me thinking about um, how important for you is the process in terms of like table work and 
working one-on-one with your co-star, if that's even something you like to do? It really, really does depend on the show. Um, it's not trying to be a wishy-washy answer, but like in, mm-hmm. say, um, the show and in how much time you can devote to the process. Yeah. Most times it's a month, if you're lucky. Um, like Peter and the Star Catcher, it's a little bit broader. So yeah, there's definitely a lot of... Nick was wonderful about giving us time to do character work and stuff. There's less book work mm. you get to do in a show like that. Um, and there's all the choreography and stuff you're adding to it, so you have less time than you would necessarily in a straight show to do that type of discussion. Um, and it's not necessarily as necessary as when, let's say, you do Les Liaisons mm-hmm. at Miner's Alley, where we really had to dig into stuff and know what we were talking about and know what we're saying and know how to handle the more delicate scenes and things like that. Um, the process for me is very important, but the pro- I, I'm very happy to have the process change. And I know it's, a, it's the beauty of a collaborative art. What my process is is not going to be the same as yours. And if you come from a completely different background and, and different technique, that doesn't mean they don't work beautifully together. Um, I, I, I know I've heard other people make this analogy too, where kind of schools of thought in theater are kind of like schools of thought in religion, where there are times where people are like, well, you know, I'm Catholic, so I don't believe anything you're, you're saying in your religion, mm-hmm. or I'm Meisner, so I can't do any sort of, you yeah. know, you know, any other sort of technique, uh, method. No, that's anathema to me. I think in theater it's a little nicer than most of us are like, well, no, actually our techniques can work beautifully together and borrow from each other's techniques. And, Absolutely. Um, so the process is important, but it just it's going to change so much from show to show that mm-hmm. it, it's hard. It's hard to nail down how I guess important that is for whichever show it is. Totally, it's funny. I mean, it, it, the idea that if you're if you prescribe to a specific school of thought in terms of your acting, that it can only exist in a surrounding that preaches that same mm. methodology. It, it's considering the fact how vastly different we all are just when we walk outside the door. Uh, you need to be able to take what you've learned, understand what works for a given moment, what works for that situation, right. whether it's the same thing, Sam, but works for the people around you without berating them or beating over the head with it as if they have to deal with it. Yeah. it's I, I've worked on some projects where I, I had, was working with Two very talented actors who got into a uh, a verbal, we'll say, skerfuffle. Sure. It wasn't like a full-on fight. A lot of talking about the other person in front of everybody. But it was becoming from... Uh, one actor was trying something organic every night. So every night he was saying things differently. And then the other actor was not totally prepared for how different it was going to be. And that was becoming a problem. And it was, it was clear that, I mean, some of what was going on was there was a, a lack of communication between both of them as they didn't know how the other person prepared for opening night. It, no one was looking into that. And while that may not be a necessity, if you were to hold so hard onto your things that you can control to not be able to adjust with what other people bring to the table, you're going to be floundering. Yeah. And it makes it makes for an honest moment almost impossible. And you can't be blaming that person because you weren't able to re I guess respond well, and flexibly. That, and that's a that's a, that to me is a delicate situation too, mm-hmm. because if it's the rehearsal process, I'm all for having, you know, organic changes every night. Yes. 
But even then, there comes a point um, in every rehearsal process, especially if you're going into a longer run, mm-hmm. uh, or a very technical run, too, with lots of cues or whatever it might be, or Absolutely. a lot of moving parts, that it does kind of need to get set without being stayed. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, you want to be able to have organic things change, but you it, it does get frustrating with that actor. They're like, I'm just going to throw out something new every night and try mm-hmm. something new completely off off the path every night in certain shows that works Mm -hmm. but there are plenty where you have to be delicate about that too absolutely um absolutely but yeah i don't know that's 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 a tough situation no i mean i i mean if you're gonna if you're gonna take the the way my i have a really good friend who's always described um uh doing a show in theater like you're 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 baking a cake Mm. All right, so the rehearsal process is you mixing all the ingredients, giving, getting everything together, putting it all into the bat, mixing it all up, putting it into the oven. Opening night, you take it out of the oven, and there it is. That's our product. Now, obviously, the consistency of the cake is going to change. It's going to get a little harder on the outside depending on how you're caring for it. Mm-hmm. You know, We can extend the metaphor for as long as we want to go, but the idea is what I take out of the oven, what I present to you on opening night, to an extent, is the core that we follow, the road that we stay on to the end of the run. If you're going to change things, because, you know, like, a great example is like you're in a comedy that's not getting a laugh at a specific moment. It's hard to deviate from what you've been working on at that point because your co-star or many or the other people in that scene are kind of dependent on the consistency of your delivery yeah. to present their next joke or their response to it. And if we're going to at the last moment without talking to anybody like flip the switch on, you maybe not changing ins- the timing. Yeah. The, the the timing, the delivery, you can change the entire sway of that moment. Well, and I think that's where a, a really important thing in every show is a good stage manager. Yes. If someone that, a, a stage manager that's strong enough to go like, okay, things are changing. Mm-hmm. Let's fix this and go back to this and mm-hmm. this, go back to this. Because there are moments where someone might have a great laugh that they've decided to do something new, but it's still pulling from the scene and the drive and the thrust yeah. of the scene and then they're it's not their moment or whatever it might be. Absolutely. Um, that's where it takes a really strong stage manager to be able to come and be like, uh, let's go back to what we originally went to. Or let's work on that moment. Or let's get together and make sure we're all on the same page yeah. um, for this. You bringing that up, it brings two names to mind immediately for me. Brianna over at Miner's Alley, has she's always been so watchful of the piece after the director walks out of the theater and yeah. and it's like the first time it happened i was a little like whoa I've never had a stage manager do do this before do what they're exactly what they're supposed to do, do exactly yeah. what they're supposed to do and and it it was cool to have this person who is so quiet and her she presents herself but who is so mindful so detail oriented mm-hmm. be able to call you out on that you you moved um to the wrong side of the stage and deliver the line over there. She also has a beautifully delicate way of doing it. Mm-hmm. And then she'll say, Hey James, I noticed that you did this differently. Is there a reason for that? Exactly. Rather than do the back the other yeah. way. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes, as she recognizes and mm-hmm. we all recognize, there are good reasons that you change something. Whether it's, yeah, I cut my finger so mm-hmm. I need to cover something. Yep. Or, I, I just messed up, sorry. Or, you know, I've been noticing this isn't working. Can we try this? Yeah. 
No, it's, it's, she's it's, beautiful to do that. Who's the other person you were thinking? I was of? just recently Rick Morales, so doing. Um, I don't know him. He's uh, he just won Equity. He's over oh. at the Denver Center right oh. now, but he stage managed guards at the Taj, oh. and it was my first time working with him. And he was another one of those guys that, like, first of all, I love it when I got a stage manager who, who is in the book with you from Jump Street. Mm-hmm. And, and able to do it all. And it's hard. Not everyone could do it. And it's not required all the all the time. But he's, you know, he's used to actors showing up day one ready to go. Mm-hmm. And we were asked to be as close to off book as possible from the start. I, I, kind of, I mean, kind of jumping off subject of what we were just saying. But on, on that, like, I think that's something for me. It's become more and more important. Um, I've not always been good about it. Mm-hmm. But I'm trying to get better about being pretty much off book day one because you don't really get work done Mm -hmm. until you're off book and I was one of the actors and it's still true for me to a degree that I say you know it's easier for me to get off book once I have my blocking because you know once I have my blocking I can get that said and I can put the the word to the movement and I'll know and where I am on stage will help me remember what I'm supposed to and all that's true but it doesn't necessarily make the best art in my mind. And that if you're off book earlier, you're able to jump into things, you're able to grab onto mm-hmm. things deeper. But also, all right, let's say you want to do film or TV or just commercial work. You don't have that luxury yep. of saying, oh, I'd like to get my blocking first yep. and then get off book. No, you better be off book when you step in. I mean, if their agent is going to ask you to be off book for a two-line audition that they're going to shoot in like two minutes, mm-hmm. then yeah, no, that's a... That's a great point. You You're expected. That is your job. So if the goal is to ever do any film, you better be able to memorize quickly. Mm-hmm. Or if the goal is to work at somewhere like, uh, I'm sure I haven't worked at Aurora Fox, but Aurora Fox, Arvada Center, Denver Center, I know where you're kind of, yeah, first day, you might not be yeah. off book, but you might be pretty darn close to yeah. off book. Yeah, you're going to be and spending then, your time on it, but we're not wasting time for you to get the right the verbiage down. It is definitely a pet peeve of mine, no matter how quickly someone gets off book, even if they wait until the off book date. Mm-hmm. To use rehearsal as your memorization process. Mm. Do your homework. As long as I can tell you're doing some homework outside, I don't care. Absolutely. But if you're just doing all your memorization during rehearsal, yeah. that's not cool. <laughs> I'm with you on that. I, I mean, when I, I started taking acting classes, um, hands-on with Sheila Traster, Sheila Ivy Traster, like back around aught 10, I would say, maybe. Yeah, a little around that time. And it's been, she, one of her first things that she, first thing she ever gave me was, if you're an actor that needs the blocking to get memorized, then the, the there's no moment that is fully realized mm-hmm. because it's so predictable. Like, I have to be at this point on this place with this line. And if you're gearing up to those markers, mm-hmm. you're not feeling what's happening in the walk between. Right. And um, once I heard that, 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 that left an indelible mark on me. I mean, we all have our processes and I don't want to sit here and say that the people who do that are not good actors. No. There's some, I know people who do that who are amazing actors Absolutely. and you love to watch them. And, and I think there's a, they can do all that work and then come back and then fill in the, that space between. Um, but for me, and I think what I'm kind of hearing from you is this idea of when I come into rehearsal, my job is to be working on the character and the arc of the play my arc and, and and feeling and finding yeah. that as opposed to well, and, and, and is it a the or a the here well as we were talking earlier for me it's about trying the goal is to eventually be in the moment and be right there and just listening to the other person 
You're not listening to the person if you're not taking them in 100%. If you're holding, even just holding the script in your hand, Mm -hmm. you're not with them 100%. You're thinking about what am I saying next. Absolutely. The goal is to be so in that script that you're not in that script anymore. Mm -hmm. That you are just listening to the other person and listening to the other, and listening and listening and listening and listening and forgetting everything else. Yeah. Um, And to, for me, again, you're right, I don't want to speak for anyone else or anyone else's process. But I don't want to do the other actor across from the disservice of not looking them in the eye when they're saying their line. Mm-hmm. If they're trying to rehearse with me and give something to me, and I'm looking at my script trying to see what I'm supposed to say next, mm-hmm. I'm not with them. There's There are plenty of uh, audition and rehearsal techniques, and Meisner is one of them, that well, you will. You'll, I'll stay with you, I'll look at you, let you say your line, and when mm-hmm. you're done, then I'll look down, find my line get my line and say mine. And that is nice when it comes to looking at the other yeah. person staying in the moment, but you're not finding the thrust. You're not... Definitely. And you're also, you're just handcuff, you're handcuffing well, at least one hand mm-hmm. at all times. You're just not able to use your entire body. Yeah, I, I, I was... What I have heard that referred to as cold copy technique, mm-hmm. where especially for a cold... Excuse me. Especially for a cold reading, you have that script in your hands. We make the connection off of your line. I go down... Whatever it is that you've given me beforehand, I have to try and keep that from looking down and finding my words to then coming up and saying it to you again on the reconnect. Yeah. And and that can be really tricky, especially if you're talking about finding the thrust in that through line. It's the same, and it's a pet peeve of mine because I know I catch myself doing it, but when you go up on a line in rehearsal and you call for a line, you better, you're supposed to stay in the moment. Yeah. Don't not, line, damn it. Oh, 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 I'm sorry, I should have had it. It's line, stay. Stay. Get your line. Keep going. Yeah, like, exactly. There's no falling line. And I find myself doing it, but mm-hmm. it is a pet peeve of mine. I agree. With you. That's one of my biggest things, too. I, I, uh, I, am a, I am a once a rehearsal process guy where I just go off the handle when I get a moment to myself. Mm-hmm. But it, it's it, you can see the buildup when I, in my calling for lines. Yeah. It, where it's just like, oh, he's going to go into the bathroom and cuss at himself. Like It just it happens for me. Every once in a while, you're just like, fuck, come on, Gilstrap, get your shit together. I'm trying to avoid those more and more by just mm. getting better about being off book before that first rehearsal. Yeah. It just it makes the hugest difference in the world, and it's not always possible. But no. I think it's at least for me, it's it's a lot more possible than I've ever given in the past. Like I, I always, oh, I don't have time. Well, I don't have to watch that extra hour of TV at night. Yeah, I could probably memorize lines doing that, and I definitely catch myself. I know the people on my work have got to think I'm weird. Because I'm walking down the hall, even if I'm not saying anything, I'm running my lines in my head, and I catch myself unconsciously making little head jerks and eyebrow raises, and like, because I'm saying the lines yeah. in my head, and then someone catches the corner and like, what's wrong with James? Everything. I'm not going to ask, I'm going to keep going. Yeah. So, I got I got to collate these files. He's gonna just talk himself into a wall. Exactly. When yes. they don't all know I'm an actor, so would you mind topping me off? Not sir? at all, sir. We have more Jameson castmates waiting for us here. Uh, oh. Bam. Yeah, what are some of what have been some of your um your favorite experiences? On stage? On stage. No, not that <laughs> story about those two girls from Ver uh, no, I can't no, say no, a place. Yeah. Um been, I've been lucky enough to get a number of shows and had had lots of beautiful experiences. Some one of the earliest ones, 
Uh, back in Grand Junction, I did Complete Works of William Shakespeare Abridged with Brock Benson, who I think a lot of people in town know, but wonderful comedic actor, and then Kyle Cruz, who some people in town know mainly because he's my best friend and sees every show I'm in, and then a lot of other shows too, just because he loves theater. Um, he's a wonderful actor, just doesn't do it anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, works for um, NBC instead, poor guy. Oh, man. Um, but we did that show together, and that was a wonderful experience because those two guys are like the best friends I've ever had in my life. They're, mm-hmm. I call them the best friends, and that like they're the best friends anyone can have type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a wonderful experience. Uh, one of the first moments I truly and utterly felt in the moment, like we were talking about earlier, as fleeting as it was, um, was a f- number of nights during Crime and Punishment over at Betsy Boulder Ensemble. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did that with Chris Kendall and Crystal Verdon, I think she's, no, Isley? I for- and I, I always mm-hmm. mess up how I say her name, but she has two different names, I forget what one is her marriage name. Yes. But... Crystal and um, Chris, and it was a 90-minute version of Crime and Punishment, which is, of course, a huge novel, but it was a beautifully written version of it, not comedic at all. I mean, any more than the novel is, which, again, not very comedic, but um, dry Russian humor about murder. Mm -hmm. Um, There were a number of nights, and and actually none of them were when I was speaking, but when I'd be listening to either Crystal or Chris, and I could just... Feel being so in the moment. Of course, as soon as I realized I could feel that feeling was when I was pulled out of the moment because I'm realizing the feeling rather than yeah. just feeling the feeling. Yeah. Um, so that was a moment. Um, when I did, actually before that, I guess, um, but it, for different reasons, um, the first time I did, um, uh, why am I all of a sudden like Southern Baptist Sissies? Um, just because I hadn't done direct address before. Mm. Um, and it was wonderful getting to really connect with an audience and feeling that connection truly for the first time. Since then, I've been able to feel it better without having to directly look them in the eyes. Um, and that was just a beautiful story. Um, working with Terry Dodd um, in RFK, that was a beautiful experience. And a moment of getting a little confidence behind myself. I was terrified going into that first um, one person, one man show I'd, I'd done, um, wasn't sure what the reaction would be, and it was a very nice reaction, and it went very well for a little while. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a, a beautiful moment, and then talking to people afterwards in that show, and I, I think it more had to do with RFK, who he was, rather than my performance, but talking to different veterans and um, just people who were alive when RFK was alive and that were on his campaign, or were on the same uh, funeral train he was on mm-hmm. or uh, a Deb Plomberg's father who was a big fan of his and a Vietnam vet and her mom too I love mm-hmm. um, those were particularly special moments and even recently with playing Black Stash with the cast that we had and just getting to completely be the idiot that I truly am in real life on stage. <laughs> and people go, oh, I haven't seen that in you before. I'm like, oh, it's the real me for once. Nice. <laughs> um, what, what I've enjoyed about theater is those beautiful moments are getting more and more frequent. Um, nice. And that's, I guess, part of the goal, too, is to find more and more of those moments. Absolutely. Um, and that's not including, of course, all the things off stage with the the, the people we meet and definitely we, the relationships. Yeah, the people we fall in love with and out of love with, and deepest friendships you'll ever have, but not see each other for ten years, but then see each other and it was like you never 
had not seen each other. It's like we all go to the trenches. Mm-hmm. And that that's kind of one of those weird bonds that it stays pretty tight. Yeah. yeah. Especially if you're willing to do dig deeper than just the uh, so what you got going on next. Yeah. Um how did the RFK thing happen? That's been always been one of my questions. Just did for auditions, relationship, and like, hey, I've got we have this great script that we're I, looking to do. I did not know Terry at all, really, mm-hmm. up until then. I think we'd met peripherally, and then before I, we did the show, and actually maybe before the auditions, um, I did a, I had done a, a staged reading for him, uh, stealing baby Jesus, I think it was, mm-hmm. um, about stealing the stealing the baby Jesus outside of the Denver Capitol when people kept on stealing the, the little baby Jesus figurine. Um, hey, it was a really fun baby script. Jesus. It was a lot of fun. It was yeah. a lot of fun script. Um, but, um, I was doing, I think it was Angels in America, it was either when I was doing Angels in America or Grey Gardens over at Vintage, the first time they did, uh, Grey Gardens at the old Vintage space. Um, I was, I had, I forget what script, but a few different one-man scripts that I was trying, you know, memorize just for the challenge of trying to get better at memorization. Um, and at some point I wanted to do a one-man show just to challenge myself and see what it was like and everything like that. And Craig Bond was, that's why I'm not sure if it was Angels or Great Gardens because he was in both, but of course he runs Vintage too. Mm-hmm. Um, but he noticed that and he's like, oh, there's this beautiful show I I, it's, you know, I want to do someday called RFK. i got to bring you that script. And he didn't at the time, but we had kind of planted the seed. And actually, I think it was Great Gardens because I was playing Joe Kennedy, mm-hmm. the oldest brother of the Kennedys. Um, didn't think anything of it year went by and all of a sudden there was the audition announcement and Craig said hey would you like to come and audition and I did I don't know how many uh, young men auditioned but I went in auditioned for Terry uh, it was one of those times that preparing I think really helped because I did have chunks of the script mm-hmm. memorized nothing that we actually did for the audition but yeah um, chunks of it, so I was already, and it didn't hurt that I grew up with the Kennedys being in an Irish family, so it kind of meant something to me to begin with, but I had a really good audition, and then he asked me a couple of questions, and then gave me one little piece of direction, um, about how he wanted to, me to say a line in the speech, we did the speech again, and I could tell because it was direct address, and as soon as I said it, it was one of those few moments like, oh, I've got this role, I think, because I could see the director had everything he wanted, because I gave him Mm-hmm. The direction you gave me. Nice. Um, and just kind of happened from there. And then it started just as a one-month run. And we did. I, I think Terry directed a beautiful show. I did my work on it. And the audience was connecting with it. Because the average age of the audience member, that at least is in Denver, was alive and, and like in their formative years when yeah. RFK was around. Um, and meant something to every single one of them. So there was kind of a, that zeitgeist behind it that I think had less to do with my performance. Not that I was bad, I'm not trying to denigrate myself, but that it was more to do with who RFK was as a human being and everything that was going on in politics then. And that's five or six years ago um, that people wanted that inspiration from a political leader. Yeah. Um, even if it was someone who was already dead and just a young guy trying to pretend to be him. That it was one of those things as an actor. Getting you know working at that time, seeing how, how the how the the, the audiences responded to it, mm-hmm. and how I was so surprised because up to that point I hadn't heard of a lot of shows in Colorado, not at one of the bigger houses being extended, 
and then being picked up and then moved and performed in other places. And that was really, it was cool. There was the bitter actor going like, oh man, fuck that guy. <laughs> but it, it, it was really, I mean, to see how, like, it, it's clear that there was a lot of prep and work that you put into that, especially now hearing that mm. tale. And it, big ups to you because it's not done a lot. There's a, there's another, there's a one woman show with them and messenger. I, I'm going to eat you last. I think that's getting re. And Rhonda Brown has done a number yes. of Molly Ivins. I forget. Uh, Red hot Patriot. Maybe it is. Mm, Red hot Patriot. If anyone hasn't seen it, go see it. I love it. And she, I think she's doing it again soon. It's beautiful. Yes. Yeah. And it's, 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 it's a testament to. So is Rhonda. She's beautiful too. Well, <laughs> yes. Yes. There's a picture of uh, me and her from, Night of the Iguana on my fridge. Or there used to be. I have it saved somewhere. And I have actually a huge man crush on her. Her her, her man, Mr. Arp, he's one of my favorite actors around. So nice. It's only fair. Definitely. Well, um, I was going to ask... Well, I don't know. What do you have for me? Do you have a question for me? I don't know why. You're you're my guest and like I'm like... Well, um, we, I mean, we've known each other for, for quite a while. What would be a show you would like to do? Not oh. just... You would like to do, but what would be a show you would love to do with me someday? Oh my god. Let's see. Chinese Coffee. What's that show? You say I don't even know the show. There's a, Al Pacino like did like a whole bunch of movies with Jerry Orbach, which are just like scripts he wanted to chew the scene, like to dominate a play with. And him and Jerry Orbach did like four of them. And there's like a four DVD collection of these plays. And one of them is Chinese Coffee. And it's basically about this one guy who's got his shit together to an extent, mm-hmm. um, who's got his own apartment, doesn't need, he's got his job, takes care of his things. And then there's Al Pacino's character who is like flying by the seat of his pants. You never know what he's going to get into next. Has problems with everybody, fights like every other night, and he can never keep track of his money. And he's got an ex-wife that's badgering him. And it's just kind of this, like, he comes in barging into the apartment of Jerry Orbox, and he's, I'm trying to, like, we got this great group get rich quick scheme and it's going to screw over the restaurant that just kicked me out of them and they're they, they're big on Chinese coffee because it's so cheap I guess um, or maybe I'm making that part up of it, but it's that because it's just a, it's a two hander and it'd be cool from that extent because we've done a small movie for uh, mm-hmm. um, Rough Dog Productions run yeah, by Susan, Susan Miles yep. and it, it, that was fun but I think outside of you giving me the stink eye a couple of scenes well we did have uh, Odd Couple together too up in my yes I forgot. That was a lot of fun, too. I mean, it was mostly me neurotically running around as Felix, so I didn't really have a lot of eye contact. I think I pump your legs and then drink the beer that you hand me. I'm sure both of those... uh, Yeah, I do remember the pumping the legs. I don't think that was on stage. Oh, that's... Well, yeah, anyway. Um, That was a fun one. It's a fun place to work. Although the first weekend when the the air conditioner went out, I'm a sweater as an actor to begin with. Whew! Oh man, that was rough. We were we were doing that show in the middle of the summertime, and we were all having like three layers on. Like, when, and and it was they didn't realize the first weekend that the air yep. conditioner had gone out because the audience was still very comfortable. Yeah, because yeah, half the, the air conditioners were working. Yeah, they're not. Run, they don't have to worry about running around, uh, chasing you down. I know I'm a sweater as an actor, but there was something special that weekend. <laughs> um, outside of that one, um, I think. It, just anything to have a conversation with you and I, just connect on that level. I'm, I'm big on relationship work. Mm-hmm. Um, it's my funnest, my favorite thing about being an actor is because you learn so much about a character in a conversation with somebody else. Yeah. And, I, and that's where I, anything that's got something like that where we're challenging each other, maybe not adversaries per se, but we 
there's we're both fighting for this. A lot something. of times, lovers challenge each other more than adversaries do. Yes, they do. Don't uh, bat those baby blues at me. Just <laughs> uh, a show that I just want to do in general, and I don't know if it'll get done in Denver because it, it I think costume-wise it would be a hell of a budget and probably set-wise, but someone, please, 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 please do Complete Female Stage Beauty. It is such a beautiful script. There's a film version of it called Stage Beauty that is beautifully done, too, and there's beautiful people all the way through it. But it's a script that needs to be. It's about... Who's written it? Or who um, wrote it, I, I should, should And I, all of a sudden I'm forgetting I should know it off the top of my head. It's, it's someone who's known. Um, but it's about the last male actor playing the female roles oh. in all the Shakespeare plays when they're finally letting women do it. And it's completely a fictionalized version of it. But it's beautifully, beautifully written. And there's this beautiful scene towards the end where the actor who's played all the female roles can't play them anymore. So he teaches the woman who's all of a sudden playing the female roles how to play... Um, Desdemona and he plays Othello for her as part of the deal and they get off stage after the scene and she says I thought you were actually going to kill me and he says I did you just didn't die mm. and it's just such a beautiful moment nice. it's such a beautiful script someone needs to do it yeah that, I've heard you talk about that play before that yeah. would be that would be a lot of fun that's such an interesting part of theater history mm-hmm. like, I mean for me I think from the day I got into it and this is from a novice who had no idea what the theater community really was or consisted of. Is like it always seemed avant garde. Everyone was welcomed. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, sexuals, the, 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 the gothic kids. That's where they felt at home when I was in high school. Yes, there's more Jameson to go around. And uh, it's it, to remember that there was a time where not everybody was allowed in, and it even to play themselves yeah to, like and actors were looked at as prostitutes okay they were right about that okay but um <laughs> some of us still are well, I'm I mean, sorry everybody you're paid to kiss each other that's right well it's very true um <laughs> I'll fight each other and whatever else I are, if you don't mind I have a question that's come up recently a great article was posted online by Kenzie Kilroy yes who you did uh um, you can say the French version. I'll say Dangerous Liaisons with the French title. I butcher it. It's yeah. Les Liaisons Dangereux. There I it is. It. And uh, she brought up a, a great topic of um, intimacy choreography. Yes. And I, I, I'm sure it's not completely new, but it, for me it was a, a great perspective. I don't think there have been a lot of articles about it, although as soon as I saw her article, like two days later I saw another one in American Theater about an actual MC. Uh, choreographer had written an article. Um, it's an incredibly touchy, interesting issue. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure where I fall on the need for an actual intimacy choreographer if you have a director, say, as we did in in the song with Len Mateo, who was incredibly sensitive about the subject, went into it making sure that the number one priority is everyone feels safe, which is something for me whether it be a sexual scene or a fighting scene, I've always been a big believer in creating a safe space to play dangerously. Mm-hmm. Where if you all feel safe, like you know that you're all looking out for the other person as a human being, like we're all going to be there and we want this to be good for everyone, that you can then be that much more dangerous with each other, or not with each other, but with the script and with what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and Len was very sensitive to that, that 
also it was a very delicate script. Yeah. Um, especially the scene with Kenzie. Yeah. Um, originally, I think the role or the character is supposed to be f- either fourteen or sixteen. That I am essentially raping. Yeah. Gently raping, if that's such a term. Yeah. It's. Um, it's not really. It's but not. I know what you're saying. But, but in this scene, it, the way it's written, anyway. It's a yeah. Um, it's a he was very sensitive. He, for one, he we rewrote the character to be eighteen. Kenzie's a little older than that, mm-hmm. um, and he was very sensitive in the way we choreographed it for both the comfort of both of us, not just, of course, for Kenzie, which mm-hmm. was of the utmost important for me at least, but for me as well, which was part of the utmost importance for Len. He was worried about both people that were involved, and everyone needs to be comfortable in the situation. Absolutely. Um, and for me, it helped having a very open communication with Kenzie, too, where it was like, anything that happened, if any, if for the slightest second we had this kind of agreement from the get-go, if anything happens that makes me uncomfortable, James uncomfortable, I'm going to let you know immediately without hesitation. Kenzie said the same thing. If I feel uncomfortable, even for a split second, I'm going to let you know immediately. That way you don't have any questions. You're not fearful of like, okay, there's there's no hesitation on either person's part like should I have we're, we're directing this was that okay well if it's not I'm going to let you know mm-hmm. with an intimacy choreographer from what I'm understanding of it it's very much like a fight choreographer where it's very step by step well that's what Len did for our process it was very step by step and then the trick just as it is with memorization is to make it look like it's not memorized and not step by step but it Absolutely. is of the moment yeah um Set it, I think, forget it. I believe it because I read the article as well. It was, uh, when, as soon as it came out, so it's a little bit fuzzier now in my memory. But I believe Kenzie felt the process was very much similar in her recollection mm-hmm. of it, where it was just everyone was there for each other, wanting to make each other feel safe. Yeah. Um, but if you can't guarantee the director is going to be like that, then mm-hmm. maybe it's a good idea to have an intimacy choreographer. Absolutely. And if it means that everyone's going to feel safer and able to fully invest in their art, I'm all for it. And if it means an extra job in the theater for someone, I'm definitely all for it. Um, so I see no, definitely no harm in having in- intimacy choreographers mm-hmm. if that's what the director and the production team believes is necessary. And I would personally encourage anyone that's in a scene either whether it's with an actor that they don't know or they don't feel comfortable with or just the way they feel most comfortable to have an intimacy choreographer, then they should demand that. Yeah. And I know that's hard to do in some smaller theaters. Mm-hmm. It's hard for smaller theaters sometimes to bring in a fight choreographer, yeah. which, again, is of the utmost importance, I think, mm-hmm. if you're bringing sword work, which we had the incredible Benaya Anderson on, on the ASO. Um, and at guards, there you go. Mm-hmm. And we had him for guards as well. I love Benaya. Um, the physical safety of the actor is as important as the emotional and however else you want to place it, spiritual safety of mm-hmm. the actor, and vice versa. So it, maybe it's we've come to a place where if if the only way for everyone to feel safe and comfortable is with an intimacy choreographer, then we need to have an intimacy choreographer. I, I it think, needs to be part of the budget. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's one of those things, too, where it's it's hard. As a, I was thinking as you were going through your answer. Um, thank you for that, by the way. 
um, I was thinking, who would who would the onus be on in those situations where you don't necessarily know if you if your director is going to be willing to to make it that type of environment? And I think to an extent, it's not only like the actors may be around that, but even a to go beyond that, a producer. Well, and, and if to, they're going to be involved with the, I mean, at all with the production, and they to should be honest, see those moments. I mean, as I said, I think Len handled it beautifully, but as a director, I can understand almost wanting to have the self-artistic insurance plus the liability insurance yeah. of having a intimacy choreographer in that sometimes as you as a director part of your job is to get the sex out of a scene yeah. or whatever it might be the the raunch because some scenes call for that but if that's your drive as the director then maybe you need that person behind there going okay yes and we need to make sure everyone's safe and feeling comfortable and going the right direction that can be a difficult balance as director. I think, as I said, Len handled that beautifully because mm-hmm. there was still sexiness and danger and questionable morality in all of that scene work, mm-hmm. but safe work as well. Um, I can imagine if I was the person directing it, I'd probably want someone there to be my check nice. and my balance and my... I'd like to believe I would be always in the back of my head going, well, I want to make sure everyone feels comfortable, but I have I see, see no harm and I see incredible benefit to having someone that's entire job is to make sure that one, number one, everyone feels safe and comfortable, and two, it looks good. Yeah. And they know the techniques how to do both. Because I know that there, I, I haven't in, been encountered all of them but I'm sure there are many techniques in that type of choreography to do things that there are just as there are in fight choreography absolutely um, there are steps and measures that can be taken to make sure that it, I, I think I responded to her article in, in this regard of like you can if we can block if we can hit moments in a, in a fight or in an, in an intimate moment step by step, like these are specific things we need to see and hear and pull, like all of those things. We can make everything else around that organic, but we can't do that without an understanding of the material, the necessity of that scene, the intimacy, Mm -hmm. the level of it, like how important all that is to the moment, and then how much we're comfortable with. And, and And I don't want to put how much we're comfortable with at the end as if it's the least of our worries, but I think one of the things that... I haven't encountered, but I wouldn't be surprised if it, it existing is this idea of like a fight is a fight. Someone could get hurt. You know, there's a mindset out there where like a fight's a fight. Someone get hurt. Sex is sex. It's fun. Just, just do it. And, it, and, and I think that's one of the things, especially now more than ever. And I'm thankful that we're in this time mm-hmm. that we, we focus on those things. Well, and I think, I mean, any good fight crock for Benaya, um, being one of them or, or, um, Jeff, Mr. Kent, um, they aren't going to be of the, of the mindset of, ah, it's a fight, someone's going to get hurt. No, my number one priority is to make sure you never get hurt. That mm. it looks like you're about to get hurt. Yeah. That it looks like it's all dangerous, but no one's ever in danger for a split second. And it should be the same for the intimacy crowd. Absolutely. And at least in my experience with any artist, it's never about the comfort of what they feel comfortable with sexually as a human being, because that's not really what should be in question in the scene. It's to, I think this is actually necessary and appropriate artistically for this scene. 
Definitely. And that's why it'd be great to have a choreographer in there to help guide that. I personally don't know if I'd ever want to get into intimacy choreography because as of right now, it's such a, a, a new thing that where do their responsibilities fall? Is it just on making the scene look good and safe-ish? Or are they a bit of an HR department too where they have mm. to balance like, okay, what do you as That's an actor... That's a great question. Up? Like, are there going to be industry standards? Mm-hmm. on Like for fight choreography, there's definitely industry standards on where your targets are supposed to be, what your distances are supposed to be, mm-hmm. how you're going to pass or fail a grade. There would eventually, I would assume and hope, be standard for intimacy choreography what would those standards be and then what are your liabilities going to be as an intimacy choreographer Definitely. these are sticky issues that have to be addressed but i believe they should be addressed absolutely um james i want to thank you it's yes. uh 720 well before we close i do have to say the next show i'm doing is at betsy because we both Definitely. there. Um, um, we ain't done yet. I got one more question for you. But oh, yes. Go, Tell okay. me about the show at Betsy. Going to a place where you already are. Yes. Um, Who's our director? Our director is Rebecca. Awesome. The wonderful Rebecca. And the uh, lead couple is going to be played by Jim Hunt and Ann Sando. Um, beautiful, beautiful story about an elderly, very devout atheist couple that all of a sudden she starts passing and seeing an angel. And mm-hmm. is it real or not? And then we have Anastasia Davison, Davidson, I believe Davidson with a D, mm-hmm. two Ds, um, and Trenton Chindell uh, playing another younger couple in it, and then we have a beautiful little arc, and it's magical realism, which everyone knows Betsy does a beautiful job of magical realism. Definitely. Sorry, what was your question? No, no, thank you for popping your show. I'm, I wanted to make sure that we got that out there. Um, having just worked at Betsy, I really love the environment that those that, that family there creates. Yes. It was a lot of fun to be a part of that. And um, you're absolutely right. Their hand with magical realism has been, especially uh, of late, been really clear and nice to see out there. So I hope you all get your tickets. Go to Betsy.org. Grab those ASAP because they will sell out. I assure you, there's too much talent on that stage for that not to happen. Um, James, before we go at the Ghost Lights, I ask um, one last question, and that's usually... How would you leave the ghost light on for the next generation? The people coming in behind you. What's a, a message or at least a bit of advice you wish you had gotten when you came into the game? Hmm. That's a great question. Um, it's hard to just jump off of extemporaneously. Ooh, I said that word without tripping. Nice. And then I tripped on word. So um, I think I said uh, um, grad instead of glad. I, I am. Was gonna say it. Uh, until off, until off. Son uh, of a recording. bitch. Um, I don't know if I have any wonderful advice that they haven't been given every day in an acting class or every day in rehearsals or anything else. All the advice of you know your best acting teacher is ever ever is going to be life is going to be experience, um, and your fellow actors just doing shows. Um, at the same time, take as many fucking classes, pardon my language, but take as many fucking classes as you can because they're important. This is the fucking ghost lights. You can cuss all you want. All you want. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I guess for me, the, the most important thing, I guess, to remember for the next generation is to keep asking questions with theater. Uh, 
in my mind, theater is about giving answers. I'm all about activist theater, but I think the most effective activist theater, or theater in general, just asks the questions because we already know the answers most of the time. Mm. Um, perspective. And I like the Greek ideal of the, the idea behind theater is to entertain and inform. Mm. Let's, you know, open their mouths with laughter and pour castor oil down their throats with truth. There you go. Um, just keep pushing towards that truth, knowing that the only way we get towards it is by asking questions. Great. Thank you, James. That's my attempt at being deep. No, that, I appreciate <laughs> it. Uh, cheers, to, cheers to that indeed, sir. Um, ladies and gentlemen, once again, this is the Ghost Lights Podcast. This is your boy, Sam Gilstrap. Come check us out, hopefully later this week, with Luke Allen Terry Ramsdorf, or Luke Ramsdorf Allen Terry. Love, um, Luke. Love you, Luke. Um, after that, we got Abner Genesee, who just opened up the Electric Baby. He's uh, been a fixture over at the Arvada Center this year, and... He's got a great story to tell. I hope you'll tune in for that. That's going to be coming ASAP next week. I got Austin Terrell lined up as well. And keep your calendars marked. March 26th through the March 30th, that whole week, spring break, the Ghost Lights is going to put on its bikini, get all shaved and looking good, and we're going to have an episode at least every single day during that week. That's the mission. That's the goal. Look for the honesty. If you want classes, check out the Denver Center. DCPA has got some great sessions that are just about to close. Check them out ASAP. Um, find us on iTunes, but before that, podbean.com. That's where you can subscribe and fall in love with the Ghost Lights. I give you, once again, our boys at the Hypnotic Brass Ensemble. Appreciate you.